As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello once again everybody and welcome to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, uh, genial host Danny Kelly, it says above the door, are The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Hello everybody. Uh, on today's episode we'll discuss the ever-changing midfield landscape uh, once again as Benton Kerr suffers that injury. Um, we've got some of your questions and we'll be talking about looking ahead to the game at Manchester City. Well, the hard facts of it are that Rodrigo Bentancur is out until February. Um, Charlie, do you have an update on this injury? What is it? And does February mean the 1st of February or are we heading towards the end of this season? Well, two and a half months is the time frame I was given. So I guess that takes us into what, mid-February. Uh, ankle, as feared, you know, after he went down after that tackle. So yeah, I mean, it will basically be that when he comes back, if he does, if that time frame, if it does play out like that, um, it will mean that will be basically exactly a year after he uh, did his ACL in that game against Leicester. So it will mean one start for Tottenham in a year, which is really awful for him. And yeah, it's just it's such a blow. Like having just come back, he was playing so well in that first game. It looked like, you know, it kind of looked like he hadn't been away. Um, so yeah, really sad for him and a, a big loss for Spurs at the worst possible time. I mean, where do we start about? Uh, we'll talk about the midfield. Um, against City later in the show. But James, um, just so as I'm not being a baby, um, am I right to think that, you know, you've watched Spurs for, for decades. Uh, is this the most unprecedented injury crisis you can recall? Well, I remember the the 96-97 season. This is a deep cut, a deep cut. That wasn't one of the injuries, by the way. There, there was definitely a lot of a lot of injuries in that season. I remember it was one of my kind of formative years as a Spurs fan. I remember th- hoping it wasn't always going to be like that, but there were definitely a big injury crisis sort of halfway through, um, where I, I, I'm sure all, all of the kind of big names from that team, Darren Anderton, no jokes, please, no, no Teddy Sheringham, Armstrong was out. They had an FA Cup tie at Manchester United. You know, when Manchester United was somewhere near the peak of their powers, where I think they had Rory Allen and Neil Fenn up front, two academy graduates, I think who played probably about 
Uh, at most 20 Premier League games between them. Beckham free kick that game, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that could have been any game really, couldn't it? Yeah, true. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah. A, a, an FA Cup game on like a Sunday afternoon on uh, maybe, the, I guess, the BBC probably. They played each other again in January 97, didn't they? And again, yeah, Beckham I can't scored. Think which round it was. FA Cup was the, would have been the first one because it was the third round, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And then the league game was maybe like the next weekend in Spurs lost 2-1 and Rory Allen scored in that game. Mm. So it wasn't all bad. So, yeah, that's the only other time I can remember it being quite as bad as this. Uh, and now we're looking at the situation where, like, the, the centre-halves have been kind of decimated. We, we're kind of now relying on playing two full-backs at centre-back. But now in midfield, and maybe it's not as bad as it's going to be in January when, when Basuma and Saar disappear for a, a few weeks at least. Do you remember as well, there was in um, the start of 2020 on New Year's Day, oh, Sissoko yeah. and Kane got bad injuries. And then about a month later, Son got a bad injury. And then Bergvine got injured. So it wasn't quite as many, but it did feel a bit like with their attacking options, they, they just kept going down. Well, they had Lucas they, they had Lucas Mora playing up front. Yeah, and they? Delhi played up front a bit. Like everyone yeah. had a go. It was, um, that was the sort of Troy Parrott clamour. I mean, that, that was bad. I think, I mean, losing Kane and Son felt like a sort of, you know, doomsday scenario. And I can't think, did that, I can't really remember that ever happening before or after that to have them both out for any length of time I think I think that's when you really know all that those are the ones you remember where like all of the players in a kind of area of the team are out and if, it, if it's one player missing you kind of expect that and you know we saw Kane have a few injuries in his time at Spurs where everyone panicked but broadly you know Son would get them through quite often but I think it's when you know the, the strike partnership are both injured or like the two centre backs are injured or, or the whole midfield is gone that you really notice it and yeah you're right that, that, that was the case then and yet you know when when Sky actually made visual an exercise I've been doing in my head now I understand that suspensions are self inflicted injuries I, I totally get that in the case of Christian Romero when they put up the team that Spurs are missing because oddly you can make a very very you don't have to force people into positions they did this yesterday and you think. Madison, Romero, Van de Ven. It's not, it's not impossible that team would beat the team we're actually putting out on the pitch. <laughs> uh, and that, that's when I really went, oh, my God. It does, it does require a little bit of imagination to think they'd they beat them, you know, three times out of five. With Bentoncourt and Madison yeah. and Saar in midfield, no, I think they'd have they'd have both centre-backs. They'd have a complete midfield. I mean, to think really... They're weak Spurs, up front. They're weak up front. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. They, hang on, they've got Perisic putting balls onto Richarlison's head. They're set. Against two foot against two full-backs playing centre-back, they'd absolutely destroy them. But, but, but it is crazy to think that, like, the... Uh, after Bentancur went off on Sunday, Spurs' four best central midfielders weren't on the pitch. It's actually quite impressive that they have enough depth in that position that they were able to still have three pretty decent centre mids and skip to come off the bench. Can I just say, right, and I, I know everyone's on a massive downer at the moment. Well, not everyone actually, Danny is, and everyone's annoyed with him that he's in a downer. I'm over that and I'm over them being annoyed and all, promise you. I'm over everyone having to go at me before the game on Sunday as well. As bad as it is and, and as bleak as it feels... The way Spurs have played in the two games, and I know a lot of people didn't think they played especially well against Wolves, but I mean, in both of those two games, it doesn't take a massive stretch of imagination. In the Wolves game, based on the chronology, i.e. the two goals came so late, and in the Villa game, based on the performances, XG, the, the quality of chances they had, uh, the, the Spurs could have got four or six points from those two games. And this isn't me saying everything's fine because of that, but I mean, it, I genuinely think, you know, how, how negative we felt, how fearful we were after Chelsea that it was just going to be a complete disaster. And it, it has been a disaster in results terms. But the performances have been 
for me, good good enough to get results. Uh, to get results. I mean, they, they easily could have easily could have had four or six points. Easily. Since you brought it up, I mean, you know, the reason that I'm being negative is that I am always unhappy when Spurs lose games, which I think they could have won. Whether that's the players, the manager, or us, the fans, whatever is the cause of it, games games where they deserve to lose, games where they're up against teams that are obviously better than them, and you're hoping for the best. The games where they where they lose, where they in matches that you think they could win, go ahead in the Premier League, you should get something out of the game. So I was furious. Yeah, of course. Uh, I do have to say uh, to defend to defend Danny slightly. It is it is kind of horses for courses, and you do have to kind of play to the circumstances to a certain degree. And I, you know, I tweet, I tweet, I tweeted before, I tweeted before the game. Uh, I thought the team was mad, and they played very well, which I, I guess you would say justified it. I certainly would say it does. Uh, but there's a massive difference between parking the bus and playing eight players behind the ball or eight plus players behind the ball, uh, Mourinho or Conte style. And, and, go, and not not playing a centre back and not playing a defensive midfielder. And I know, yes, the fullbacks come into midfield, and Hoiberg gives the ball away or whatever. But like, there's a vast like array of sort of tactical options between those two things. Listen, Sam Lewis asked. Um, I'm gutted we lost um, on Monday, but even more optimistic about Ange and what we can do. We need to back him in January. Do you guys think that will happen? Love the podcast, by the way. Thank you, Sam. Um, th- there will be a clamour now because of Spurs' injuries. For the club, Daniel Levy being the uh, figurehead of that, to you know refresh the squad significantly in January. But Charlie, you can tell us how difficult that is to do. And James, I wonder whether it's the right thing to do, unless you can get players who are going to be in the first team. Because otherwise, we're back to one of my least favourite cliches with football people: we need bodies in the building. Do you bodies really? That's it. I think they will try. They will try and get some some players in, but some good players in. And I was saying earlier in the season, I think one of the benefits to not being in Europe uh, or the Carabao Cup was it meant they could have a smaller squad because I thought they could sort of get away with it. But I, at the same time, I don't think in January they should be buying players for the sake of it because that's what gives you that squad of just sort of fillery players you don't really want to play. Every player I think that comes in really should be one who competes for a first team place. Like that's how you get your squad stronger. You don't you don't get your squad stronger by bringing in guys who kind of know they're going to be playing second fiddle. I mean, yeah, you know, you might have to get in the odd player who fits in that category. Mano Solomon, obviously, that was slightly opportunistic. There was something there, and it made sense. But generally, I yeah, that's not a route I would go down. They will, they want to bring in players in January, but and I know people are sick of hearing this. And Spurs, you know, that thing of it's not easy. That is true, but also Spurs have shown you, you can make great signings in January. Benton Kuren Kudusevsky got them the Champions League a couple of years ago. Pedro Porro, although he started slowly in his first season, has proved to be a brilliant signing, I think. Um, James, how does it work though? Because we've already got the 25, and suddenly you've got your start. If, if they do go out and buy, let's say they go out and, and sign four players in January, because um, then suddenly you've got to start chopping people out of the squad, don't you? Yeah, I mean. Uh, we can leave people to uh, pick and choose who they would like to get rid of, I guess. I mean, I think I've got a pretty good idea. Well, it, the social media Spurs fans definitely have got a very, very good idea. Um, who knows it out there in the wider and some might say realer world. Yeah, I mean, let, let's not get into the homegrown quarter again. No. Charlie, Charlie, of course, is um, very grateful, according to what he said at the live event we did, that um, 
Spurs fans are so obsessed with the homegrown quote, quote that he's now a world expert on it. Indeed, Arsene Wenger rings him to find out, you know, about homegrown quota. I do love it. I sit at home reading the rules and regulations in case they get updated. James, if you had your way, um, where would in the team, not individual names, where, where do you in your mind does Spurs have to strengthen? I mean, despite us talking about whether Spurs had been decimated or otherwise in midfield or in defence, the thing that really struck me, the thing that really, I think, cost Spurs the game on Sunday was a lack of clinical edge in front of goal. And, you know, I I said it at the time, and it was another tweet that I got a lot of criticism for, actually, but once again, I was proving to be correct. They didn't adequately replace Harry. You know, they've they've sold the best goal scorer in the history of the Premier League pound for pound, um, or pro rut or whatever. And they have replaced him with a, a, a promising young sort of wide forward player who I, I'm sure potentially could be very, very good for Spurs, Brendan Johnson. But now they really look like they're lacking goals. You know, if we think Richarlison isn't going to score more than 10 goals in a season, Johnson, you probably say the same. Solomon, when he comes back, might get a few. It, it all feels like it's on Son. And if he doesn't score, you're looking at, you know, one like... LaCelso from near to the box with a deflection or whatever. I, I think they need a clinical, proven centre forward who who has got a track record of scoring goals at this level. Or maybe not centre forward, but a wide player who scores a lot of goals. Uh, that would be the thing that I think would make the biggest difference. You know, we talk about whether they're going to look at the longer or shorter term. And I know there are issues that need to be addressed as well elsewhere in the squad, but I think that is the thing that will serve them both now and going forward. Let's move on then to a piece that you've written um, Charlie, which I think you'll have to do a pricey of so people can understand it for those who haven't read it, about the citification of Spurs. Um, we have got some uh, City Group personnel, Scott Munn, of course, at the very top, of, you know, quite near the top of the pyramid, uh, Ange Postacoglu himself, Pedro Porro, um, and all the rest. Of what, what, tell, tell us about your piece. Well, this came about, um, I had this idea in the summer because it, it, it was... Um, there was a sequence of, um, yeah, former CFG employees and coming into Spurs. So you basically had Scott in, in April. It was announced that Scott Munn, uh, who headed up CFG's operations in China, was going to come in as chief football officer. And that chief of football officer role came about after an audit of the club's football operations. And that audit was done by an external um, consultant called Jilly King, who's also ex-CFG. Um, she was, I think, um, head of HR, that that sort of role um, over there. So obviously she would have been aware of Munn. Um, and so there were those two. Then you had Postacoglu coming in, formerly uh, of Yokohama F. Marinos, uh, which CFG have a minority stake in. Uh, Postacoglu was very well known uh, within CFG, obviously. He was very well thought of. Um, Melbourne City really liked him as well while he was Australia manager. Uh, so obviously Munn would have been well aware of him. He comes in later that month, Simon Davis, uh, who was at the academy, at uh, the City Academy for eight years. Uh, he got promoted from his role, um, which was head of coaching methodology for the academy. He became head of the academy uh, when Dean Rastrick left in the summer. So this all happened in quite quick succession. And, and as well, when um, Scott Munn got his job the noises coming out of Spurs were that you know the way to understand it was that his role would be like Omar Barada who's the COO of CFG um so you could see a kind of like okay so you know to some extent that model that works so well for City 
Spurs were looking to take elements of, which makes total sense because City, and I know a lot of people will be scoffing at this, are seen as, you know, being extremely efficiently run, uh, examples of best practice, etc., etc. So, yeah, I was kind of just looking at this and the extent to which it's, you know, a strategy and, you know... Yeah, a strategy or, or, a, or an extended coincidence. What's your feeling, Charlie? Well, yeah, I mean, I well... I think it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, that you know, Spurs are very clear that, you know, these are all separate appointments. They haven't gone, right, let's go out and get a load of ex-CFG people. I think it's, football's quite a small world. So, you know, obviously people are going to, uh, if they know that there's someone who's good and that they can trust, then they're going to be minded to bring them in. And I think what you'll see is, well, and there are, you know, there are, I think the head of technology at Spurs uh, mentioned the piece. He's also ex-CFG. Obviously, that's going to happen. You're going to have that. And and it's not just Spurs. That's what's interesting. I mean, you look at Arsenal, they've got Pep's former assistant. Last summer, their two big signings were former City players. You've got Chelsea going down the multi-club route uh, with their majority investment in uh, Strasbourg. And now you've got, I think, th- once Everton and United's takeovers go through, you'll have 13 of the 20 Premier League clubs uh, whose owners have stake in other clubs. Spurs then obviously being in that minority. And what's interesting there is that Enoch all the way back in the day, they had that multi-club model. They had loads of clubs, Spurs being one of them. And then UEFA rules being what they were basically then led to Enix selling off the stake in those clubs. So I think it it opens up quite a lot of interesting issues about how, you know, clubs operate and how, you know, because talking to people for this piece, they said what you've seen with City in the last few years is a bit like Barcelona in that kind of late noughties, uh, early 2010s period when everyone wanted to play like Barcelona and wanted their executives. Obviously, City went and got all their executives and got Guardiola, and now everyone's looking at City and thinking the same thing. And obviously, linking this all back together, even at that Barcelona time, a much younger Ange Postacoglu's Brisbane Raw team were called Raw Salona and seen to play like Pep Guardiola. So Barcelona's tentacles kind of stretched everywhere, and that's what we see with City now with all their you know that multi club model. They've got so much expertise all over the world. And I think every club, obviously, would love to have that. They'd also love to have their money. Unravelling where the uh, talent stops and the money starts um, is, is going to be the, the, the trick for any club, you know. Though I would say the last two nights show us with Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain that having a huge, huge amount of money does not guarantee success. You do also, it's a huge advantage, but you do also have to be smart with it. Absolutely. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, welcome back everybody to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. James Moore and Charlie Eckershare are on the firm as well. Listen, and a quick and a slightly sugary but genuine uh, uh, thank you to all of you who have been getting in your um, Spotify uh, reports for end-of-year reports of what you've been listening to. And many of you have been putting up on Twitter saying, look, I, The View from the Lane is my first or second or third favourite podcast. Um, so, you know, as many of those go up and put them up there, um, I will thank you personally. I'm sure the others will too because, you know, without without the listeners, I'm not going to say we're nothing because clearly this is a brilliant product, but um, we do, it, it, I don't want to be broadcasting into a void. Um, Stevie, the stat show, that he's listened to 6,000 minutes this year, which means, Steve, you must have listened to some of the podcasts more than once or on repeat, which I thoroughly recommend. That That's the right way to do it. Get used to us. Have it on all the time. Love that you're listening, whether it's for 10 minutes or 6,000 minutes a year. Now, on to Manchester City. Now, they are, of course, a really great team. Um, Travelled last year, perhaps not at that peak at the present moment, um, but still plenty for Spurs to think about at the weekend. So we thought as a as a spoonful of sugar to help that medicine go down, um, we'd talk about our favourite wins at the Etihad. Um, Charlie, uh, you've, pick, you've picked which game? The one from two seasons ago, the last minute Harry Kane winner. Incredible game. And I do think, like, at, at the live show, uh, Jack and I discussed who was the worst manager, Mourinho or for Spurs, Mourinho or Conte. He said Conte was worse, which is, I think is the popular view. I, I really think Conte gets a bit of a hard time. I think a lot of it is because he was loathed. I get that on a per. I think a lot of it is just on a personal level, people hated him. But if you actually look at the football, Conte got Spurs playing at a level Mourinho never got them close to and this game really showed that I mean yes of course they took a lot of they had to take a lot of punches and they did a lot of defending but they scored three goals against a team who were on a mad run of successive home wins as City often are they were the champions they went on to win the league that season the first goal and you've got go they go from back to front you've got Ben Davis clipping a pass out it's it's good football and it was an amazing win you know, to go away the champions with the last minute winner doesn't really get any better than that. Having just conceded a stoppage time equaliser as well. I mean, and Harry Kane that day was unbelievable. Just one of the great Premier League performances, absolutely. But by the, by an individual, I mean, yeah, incredible. Yeah, 
We should say, by the way, Spurs had lost their previous three yes. league matches and they were that manager's first three defeats as Spurs manager in the league. Let's play the audio then for the game that James has chosen. It comes from late in the season in 2010. And now Kabul got past Bellamy, deflected and Crouch has scored for Spurs and is that the goal that takes them into the Champions League? Up the corner. Very good. One of the biggest results in Tottenham's history. Spurs are marching into the Champions League. What a magic, magic night for the North London club. I'm so lucky to have such a good coaching staff, you know. Joe and Kevin, fantastic climber. <laughs> I guess it should be pointed out that Manchester City weren't quite the razor-toothed behemoth that we see today. Um, but still and all, James, I could easily have picked this myself. And I remember watching the game um, with my sister, inevitably an Arsenal fan. And when the, I didn't cry when the goal went in, but when the um, when the when the final whistle went, I did, for the first time in a long time at football, I allowed a single tear to run down my face. Um, a, a brilliant, a brilliant night. Yeah, I mean... I, I know uh, a certain other manager has like got a bit of stick for suggesting that top four is a trophy, but this was kind of a bit of a cup final, like the penultimate game of the season, midweek in the last week of the season. Yeah, against a team you're competing for, um, uh, competing with, sorry, for for a top four place. Uh, I, I, I think it was like a massive moment for Spurs. And I wrote about this a couple of years ago, actually, during during COVID lockdown when there was no football and we were desperate for content. Uh, but I think this is the most important result, and I stand by this. This is the most important result in Tottenham's sort of, I guess, Tottenham's history in the Premier League era. Like, more than any of the Champions League results in the competition, including up to that final in 2019. I, I just think... This, like, like qualifying for the Champions League in 2010 ahead of City just allowed Spurs to kind of put themselves in that group with the elite teams when if they'd missed that opportunity in that moment and City had then become the the behemoth that you mentioned before, Danny, uh, they may have found it really hard to kind of break into that group. I, I know, I think we're all kind of realistic about Spurs' position in that group, but they are deemed to be one of the big clubs in English football now, whereas before that, I don't think they were. They really were. And, you know, they qualified for the Champions League how many times since then? Five or six, uh, even though it was quite a long time before the second. It was a great night, a, a great way to win a game. You know, if you look at that Spurs team, it's it's a good team, but not Eunice like... Eunice Kabul at right back, very high, you know. Yeah, Eunice Kabul playing out of position at right back. When they had, I think they had about six right backs on the, on the squad that that season. I mean, you know, Wilson, Palacios and whoever else in the team. Like I say, good team, not a great team. But it was... It, it was it was a sort of similar moment to where Spurs are now, where you kind of sense they were on an upward trajectory, and it was like a kind of this ragtag assortment of players that had been kind of brought together. Uh, and I would say that more or less everything that's happened since has kind of come down to that moment. So I'd say it's I'd say it's pretty significant in the history of the club. My my um, moment comes from when a very that wasn't a great Spurs team, a very very good Spurs team took on the the razor tooth behemoth. At their, one of their peaks um, in 2019. Kieran Trippi with a corner this time. All the way through, it's gone in! Well, Fernando Llorente might well claim it. 
from a Tottenham standpoint, they don't care where it came from. It's a goal for them that puts them back in control of this quarter-final. It's Manchester City 4, Tottenham 3, it's Fernando Llorente. This game's unbelievable. They're going to check it, though, Jermaine, to see, I think, whether there's a hand in there. Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel like he headed it cleanly. He's given it. There's the decision. The goal is confirmed. Loads of things about it. Spurs without Harry Kane. They'd won the first leg by a single goal. Um, you, you know, you're not madly confident, but the first 20 minutes told you that anything could... Well, after 20 minutes, I just sat back and thought, right, let it be. Whatever's going to be is going to be. I think... Um, Son and who scored the two goals? Oh, Raheem Sterling had exchanged goals. Um, in the, 21 minutes, the first four goals in that game. And after that, I remember sitting, I was watching on TV, I remember thinking, right, Danny, you better just strap yourself in here because clearly any advantage City have of being at home or um, of being, you know, on paper, the better team is gone here because the game has descended into what I love best about football, total chaos. The total chaos was reflected in Laurenti's goal being allowed. I mean, you need a bit of luck, and boy, was that because that would have been that would have been disallowed today, wouldn't it? Well, you say that, but it was like it was the typical VAR thing of looking at the first angle and it appearing that the referee had been correct. Looking at the second angle and it sit and it looking like the referee got it wrong and that the original decision should be overturned in that instance, the goal is allowed. And then going back to the like an angle more like the first angle, not seeing the thing that you're disallowing it for, and going, oh right, yeah. Okay, fine. Let's go with that. And that happened with the first Fulham penalty on Monday night. And that's what Tim would have said if he was here. BAR, bad. Even if it was good for Spurs in that instance. All of which, and I hope you enjoyed those uh, li uh, little uh, look back down um, uh, lane uh, common memory. Um, it's been a way of putting off what we're going to do about City this weekend. Because I'd put it to you, although City aren't playing quite as well as they as they have done perhaps last year, they'll wait until the latter part of the season for the kick into gear. Tottenham's fantastic record um, against City under uh, Pep Guardiola. Um, since he joined the club in 2016, City have lost more Premier League games against Spurs than they have against any other opponent. Six times, uh, while against no side, they conceded more goals. 19, that's level with Liverpool. Um, I think things have changed, though, in two ways. One, uh, very quickly, um, Spurs, I think their victories have been reliant on obviously not the one we've just been talking about in the Champions League, on that combination between Kane and Son, where City's advanced fullbacks have left Son a bit of space and Kane's just found him again and again and again and again, and it's kept them under threat. Well, Son doesn't play wide now and Kane's not there. Secondly, um, I think, and City have pulled this stunt a million times in the past under, under Guardiola. They have persuaded everybody in the past year that you can invert the fullbacks and play them in midfield. Spurs are the absolute exponents of it now. So what's he done since then? Bought in Jeremy Doku to, to, to use his pace in the space where the inverted fullback should be. Um, I make no bones about saying that I think Guardiola is the best coach of his generation. Um, and he just seems to be one step ahead. But I put it to you then, James, uh, without the Kane-Son combination, how are we going to beat Manchester City and who's going to play in midfield? Yeah, I mean, it is a great question because the other thing I think a lot of those wins over Manchester City were based on <laughs> was, uh, sitting in and playing on the counter-attack, which I think we can probably be fairly certain is not the approach Spurs will adopt on Sunday. I think that's, that sounds right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as for who plays in midfield, I, I, I mean, it, does it pick itself? It feels like it might. Do we know yet on Saar yet, Charlie? No, don't, don't know yet if he'll play. 
I've got to say, I, I didn't, I wasn't massively impressed by Hill on Sunday. I know there are a few like moments where he turned his man right out on the byline, uh, and then kind of got down the line and he put one good cross in, to be fair, which is, I think, maybe the first, which I think is possibly the first good cross I've seen him play into the box, which isn't necessarily a criticism. He hasn't played loads. Uh, but yeah, he wasn't great. So I would kind of be tempted to put Kulisevsky, despite him having played well, uh, in, in midfield. I would probably be tempted to put him back into his more traditional role. Uh, but the Celso, you would assume, will play again. Obviously, Basuma to come back. And then it's Hoiberg or Skip. I mean, for me, Skip might be slightly better suited to the system or to the style of play. Uh, but I, I don't think either of them are sort of a perfect solution given you're looking to replace, I guess, probably Saar in that instance. I've said this before, I think with City, very broadly speaking, there are two ways you beat them. One is you sit in and you frustrate them and you play on the counter, which tends to, you know, that's part of the reason they've been so dreadful against Spurs is that Spurs have been very good at doing that. And, you know, Conte, Mourinho, Nuno, to varying degrees, uh, all did that. Obviously, I was saying Conte, it wasn't just a backs to the wall, but, you know, there's still a lot of counterattacking within that. So there's that way and Wolves did that very well as well. They kind of count on them or you're a Liverpool who are just so amazingly good that you can beat their press and you can overwhelm them what you don't want to be is in between those two stools i.e. Arsenal for a long long time because you have to be so good to to play out in the way you know like a team like Arsenal is going to try and do they'll try and do what Liverpool do my fear is that that's a bit the space Spurs are in right now especially with all those injuries is that they will, they're not going to go and sit deep and soak up pressure. They're going to go and try and take them on. And yeah, I just think you've got to be perfect to do that. And, you know, it took Liverpool a little while. Then they got there and found a way of doing it. Bloody hard to do. I know how Spurs will go about it now because uh, that's what they do. Um, and I guess against Manchester City, where, you know, the odds, even for Spurs, are that you'll get beaten anyway. Um, Having a right go might not be the worst idea. What we'll have to do, though, and that includes myself, is if that goes wrong or if it goes spectacularly wrong, you just have to bite the inside of your lip and say, onwards. Danny, what would your approach be? How would you approach this game, given all the absentees and everything? I don't think you can defend deep um, against Manchester City um, with this with this squad of players that we have left. Well, you could. You could, you could put Dyer in and you could say... You know, we're going to sit in and defend our box. And I don't think that a combination of Dyer Davis and um, Emerson Royal would be enough to, 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 to stop Manchester City. And without going completely mad gung-ho and playing six out and out forwards, they might as well have a go. Um, because City, a Champions League game, if you can get them involved in something a bit chaotic, then all their obvious their obvious advantages slightly unravel. I guess like Chelsea did recently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn it into a, into into a wacky races and then see who gets across the line. Which City hate, you know. Yeah, City, City love that. control. They 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 do not want it to be fun. They want it to be sterile and suffocating. And Rodri just getting his fangs into that game. You've got to try and stop that happening. But if that if that is like that. And that is kind of what Spurs tried to do to the game on Sunday. If it is like that, they've got to be so, so much more clinical than they were on Sunday. Like, like I, you know, it's very rare that Spurs have underperformed XG in a game 
uh, over the last few years because I've had Kane and Son who overperform their XG so often. I know people hate XG chat, but it's a, it is an indication of like how profligate they were. I mean, for me, this game is kind of like that last half hour against Chelsea in a way in that uh, you're such big underdogs that it makes more sense to go for it than it does to to, to kind of sit in and like, like like abandon your plan and do something completely different. I felt slightly differently about the Villa game. Um, but in this instance, I think they should play as close as they can to the kind of Ange system. Uh, uh, you know, look, I mean, if Sarri's fit, then actually if it's Lo Celso in for Madison, then maybe it's not. I mean, obviously that is quite a big step down, but stylistically it feels like less of a a reshuffle. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose you're going to stick with those two fullbacks playing at centre-back again. I don't really see any reason why he'd change that now. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I think we all have a vague idea of how it's most likely to go. But I think if they can put themselves in a game and make it interesting uh, and play well again, I would be relatively content. Yeah, I, th- I think they, and I think they will. I think they'll, well, I think they'll go for it. I think they'll play the same way and it will be interesting. And who knows? Like, may, you know, it might, as I said, it's bloody hard to do it, but, you know, they, they might be able to pull something out partly because it might just scramble Guardiola a little bit I think he you know he hasn't played I mean he's played against uh Yokama F Marinos in a friendly but you know he hasn't played against the Postacoglu side competitively it will be interesting and I think that is the key though is just trying it's so hard to do it and the problem is if you know what what if what if what if, what if Guardiola does one of his he hasn't done this a lot in the last couple of years but what if he has one galaxy of his, like, brain. yeah exactly completely overthinks it and does something stupid yeah, I don't think he will. Um, but yeah, I think they've got to, the, at least though for Spurs, if they go behind, I don't think it's done necessarily because they do have firepower and I think they will keep creating chances at least. Whereas some teams, the problem, you know, you go behind against City and you're like, we're finished here because they're just going to drain the life out of this game. I think Spurs can keep it live. That said, ideally don't concede early. <laughs> No, no, it's 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 a weird spe- speculation this about this game because even if Spurs had all of their best players available, um, we'd still be talking about you know can they do enough to nullify the things that City do? Let's hope they can do something with the players they've got. Let's hope there's no more injuries, um, and we'll see how how it goes. We'll be back on Monday to refer to how it's went. As I say, Spurs' record is so good against Manchester City, you can't help um, to be slightly optimistic. Um, looking forward to the game in any case. Uh, thank you, James. And thank you, Charlie. Thank you all for listening. Uh, for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Click advantage of our latest offer, just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. Off we go to Manchester City. Come on, you Spurs. The Athletic. <laughs>